As we know, every artist has their own creative process. But my guest today on the program, he kept that process pretty simple. All he needed was a few words from E.E. Cummings. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. To thine own self, you must be true and sing your own fair song. guest today on the program, Colin Moulding. Let me tell you a little bit about Colin Moulding. Now, Colin has been on the show before, so I'll keep the bio brief, but I will say this. It's lovely to have him back, especially since the occasion of his return is new music. And not only is it new music, it's his first solo music ever. He was on the show a few years ago when he and former XTC drummer Terry Chambers, under the TC&I banner, put out their Great Aspirations EP. But like I said, this new track, The Hardest Battle, is Moulding's first foray as a solo artist. And what a foray it is. The Hardest Battle is a catchy pop gem about the struggles of the internal and the external world and how they meet in the middle. As the bassist and co-frontman of XTC, which, by the way, formed in 1972, Moulding played on 14 of the legendary Swindon band's albums, including White Noise, Skylarking, Drums and Wires, and Oranges and Lemons. And if it ever comes up at a party, an interesting fact is that Moulding wrote the band's first three charting singles. Over the course of his remarkable career, he's collaborated with everyone from Sam Phillips, to Anton Barbeau, and the fact of the matter is, he's a great musician, and he's a fascinating guy. We're lucky to have him as a friend of the podcast. So here we go, my conversation with Colin Moulding, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
Yes, yes, I'm a tennis player myself. Well, so, then you, um, you probably recognize yeah. the, the instrument behind me then. Oh, what is that? Is that a... Oh, right, yes, it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I'm a tennis player, so I string the rackets, I, I teach a little tennis on the side, I played in college, it's the only sport I could ever do, Colin. Yes, I, I, I've played it at school, and uh, more recently, I, about 10 years ago, I took it up at the local club as well. Um, so, yeah, I love it, you know, it's brilliant. It's great, because you can literally shut the world out and just and just think about nothing but that ball and those lines <laughs> you know yeah, indeed yes yeah um how have you been I, I spoke to you a couple of years ago and um a lot has happened since then <laughs> since then well it's been one crazy year isn't it really um my god who would have thought it eh i know um so i just i thought well what am i going to do for the next year Boris Johnson says, you've got to stay at home, so what can you do but make music, eh? Was it something that was good for your creativity? Did it actually give you a chance to kind of just go, okay, I'm, I'm just going to focus on being creative? Uh, no, it wasn't a conscious decision. Uh, one gets tinkering, you know. I, <laughs> I have this crazy system here where I lie in bed and I plug my little keyboard in to my laptop and uh, put my headphones on and I'm away, you know. Yeah. Um, coupled with that, I, I read books as well. Um, I mean, not um, novels or anything, but I have reference books, you know, that I refer to. And um, I came across this one, which I happen to have at my right side here. And it's the book of po pocket positives uh, by various writers, uh, American, um, some by Roosevelt and some by Churchill and basically um, famous people with quotes and stuff. And there was one by the American poet E.E. E. Cummings about um, to be nobody but yourself in a world which is trying to make you like everybody else is means to fight the hardest battle. Um, so that's where I got um, the title for my latest ditty from really. And um, Coupled with that, uh, me exploring the chords of Algar's Nimrod, um, there was a marriage there between that lyric and uh, these chords I were getting fabulously wrong. Uh, but from that wrongness <laughs> comes your song, you know. So um, yeah, it, it, um, it sparked off something in me and uh, I thought, my God, there's a song here. So um, off I went, you know. Well, if you had explained your new process to the you of 30 years ago, the you of 30 years ago wouldn't know what you were talking about in terms of like plugging in the laptop and putting on the key. It sounds so different than probably the way you used to do things. Has it made you more effective, do you think, as a songwriter? Well, I used to write on guitar mainly. Yeah. I should add, I'm not a guitar player and I'm not even a keyboard player. I'm a bass player. Um, but I do know enough to facilitate my songs. And so that's what I do. But yes, I, 30 years ago, I'd have wrote, wrote something on a guitar. I probably would, but I, I've, over the years, I've drifted towards keyboard, you know, and wrote one or two. Um, but more recently, I've really fallen in love with it. And, and I, that's all I do now is I don't write on guitar anymore, really. I always thought of 
of XTC as sort of like the go-betweens where, you know, Partridge was like McLennan and you were like Forster where, um, and I talked to Robert and, and he told me that he would, he'd bring in two new songs and Grant McLennan would have 90. And I, and I wonder, if, I wonder if it was that the way it was, were, were you a prolific songwriter or would you just have a couple of pieces that you'd bring in? I wouldn't say I was prolific, no. Um, but then would you say that more means more? I, a lot of people say that might mean dilution, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think it all depends on the quality of the song really more. But uh, yeah, Andy was pretty prolific. But then he was the original songwriter. Um, and it was only when we started to record that I started to write myself, you know. Um, I think it was one of our roadies suggested that, uh, Colin, you ought to write, you're, otherwise you'll miss out, you know. So um, I began to write. And of course, one's earlier efforts are especially in the public eye is difficult you know it's like George Harrison and the Beatles really he had to learn in the public eye which is you know some of the not so good ones are, are out there and uh, that's not good you really want to put your best foot forward so yeah it, it was difficult but I got better you know? yeah yeah and that's what I was going to ask you is that do you feel that you have you know a real sort of a grasp on um, the process now in a way that you didn't before, like you're more, you feel more effective or you feel more, a little more, um, you know, in control of, of, of the craft. I think when I started, I was just writing songs to fit in uh, with the band. And those first couple of albums were, we were labeled as quirky, you know. Yeah. And I was quirky as well. I went along with it, but um, after a while I thought, my God, this isn't you, is it really? You're a melodic guy, you know? So um, by the time we got to Drums and Wires, I thought, well, I'm just gonna start being myself now. So uh, it may seem a little strange to what you've received from me before, but uh, this is the real me, you know? And so my stuff became more melodic and lo and behold, we had a hit, you know? Right. So, Right. Yeah. So um, that just goes to show, folks, be yourself and you'll have lots of hits. Gets back to that E.E. E. Cummings quote as well, though, right? You really do have to sort of be who you are. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I don't. I think there's a lot of people who are never themselves, you know, or maybe arrive at themselves later in life. Um, and um, it's that's the easy way out to run with the pack. And it's not always easy to be oneself, you know. I mean, I think the thing that, that makes me feel strange is the idea that people who aren't themselves is, that's a rough one, but also if they don't even know that they're not themselves, that seems to be a kind of, um, you know, a hellish existence to not know. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. You know? I wonder whether they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've always kicked myself when I found myself not being myself. I'm talking about earlier in the early days. And I, you know, I used to think, my God, that's, that wasn't really you anyway, was it? You know, and um, I used to reprimand myself for actually not being myself. And then that became less and less. Uh, the, 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 the need to be myself was so overwhelming that eventually all that, I left all that stuff behind, you know, I think. 
Does it also make you sort of look at people like, you know, like David Byrne or, or Peter Gabriel, who sort of seem to have arrived as themselves? Like they found that pretty early. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. I congratulate anybody who arrives at being themselves as early as possible because that's the key to life. But well, someone once said, and I think it's in that book of pos Pocket Positives as well, that uh, man loses his misery when he becomes himself, you know. Mm. So I think, um, you know, the earlier you can get there, the better. I think. Are you on a sort of songwriting tear right now? Do you feel that you're in a kind of flow state? No, no, this project is just a single. I people say, "Well, can't wait for the album, Colin." I'm, I'm sorry, but there is no album. I, I, the old rules don't apply anymore. I don't think. Yeah. Um, I think uh, a few years ago, I would have squirreled some songs away and made them into a bigger project. But you know, here I am. I'm in my mid sixties now, and I'm thinking I haven't really got time to squirrel things away. That rainy day is here, you know, and. Uh, I, I think if I've got it, you can have it, you know, and if I've got faith in it, yeah, but um, there's just no time, you know. Is it also in many ways take the pressure off where it's sort of like, okay, here's a new song, I'm going to put it out. I don't have to craft 11 more. Is that kind of a relief? Absolutely, you know, and I like singles culture, I have to say. I like singles culture. Um, it's something I remember from the early days uh, when singles were a requirement you know unless you had a hit single it was not going to sell the album it was a selling tool you know for me it's not a selling tool it's just it's just i put it out for my own amusement you know so um yeah i i, I always like singles culture and so you know i'm happy doing it you know when we last talked you and you and terry had had, had this project and it was really exciting and great um and I think people were also couldn't wait for the album. <laughs> Another same situation. Um, yeah. what, what happened with that project? Because it was really cool. Yeah, yeah, we did an EP and it was great. And, yeah. Uh, we, we all actually did some gigs as well. Yeah. Like a, a set piece in our own town. Uh, it was almost like a Westman musical where it's all in one place. So we played six gigs all in one place. That's cool. Uh, so, well, you get to sleep in your own bed. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> even cooler, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was fine, you know. But um, I think Terry's raison d'etre, if you like, he loves to play live, you know. And um, that really isn't my thing. You know, I've been a studio musician now for about 35 years, and it's that's, that's what I like to do. But I thought, well, he was going to help me out on this EP. Um, remember he'd been living in Australia and he came back to England after right. all those years and we went out for a drink and whatnot and I said well you know a few weeks later I sort of popped the question I said well I'm going to, I'm in the throes of making this EP would you like to help me out I thought that would be interesting you know get the old team back together and um, he said well yeah he said I haven't played in a while so you know it might be a bit rusty but you know we'll give it a go so we started in my little studio and uh, we were in there for ooh, a few months and um, and then um, he I know he was itching to for us to play live you know and um, he as he used to call it unfinished business from 1982 you know I said well you know I don't really we can do some gigs if you like you know but I don't want to tour on the scale that we used to. 
Yeah. But um, it was quite, became quite evident that that's what he wanted to do. So I thought, well, I don't want any resentment building up. And so I said, well, you know, I'm going to, why don't we knock it on the head? You know, uh, you want to tour, you can get your own band together and you can tour, you know. Uh, but that's really not for me. So uh, that was the way it was. But, we, you know, we talk and, you know, we're okay together. It's just the difference of emphasis, you know. Yeah. Was that, I mean, as I've gotten older, I it's easier for me, me to be more direct with people, I find. So like you yeah. said, knock, knock it on the head. Was it a hard conversation to have or was it was it easy just to be up front and say, Here, here's what, the way it is? Yeah, yeah, it was sort of difficult, I suppose, because we just got them going and there was a buzz around, and, you know, and it's difficult stopping the momentum of that in a way. Yeah. Um, but it was really difficult kind of getting match fit after all that time, you know. We spent the whole of the summer sweating it out, and, you know, doing these songs and, yeah, it, it really took the stuffing out of me, I must admit. But... Um, the gigs went well, they were sold out every night and people went crazy and yeah, it was fantastic. And I really did enjoy it, but I didn't really want to expand on it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a difficult conversation, yeah. I would imagine. And um, and, so, and is he, did he get a band together? Is he, is he doing? Well, of course, <clears throat> he was in the throes of getting a band together and then the pandemic hit, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then it, <laughs> It just put pay to it, and it's still still struggling to get it off the ground now because, as you know, it's been one crazy year. You know, I know you said you enjoyed the gigs, <clears throat> but you wouldn't want to take it any further than that. But um, your the it was your reticence to play live the idea of, um, you know, the travel takes a lot out of you. I mean, it really it really does. So even back in the older days, I mean, I mean a lot is made of of, of Andy and, and his his sort of inability to his stage fright which is a real thing um yeah. it's traumatic but no one really talked about you in terms of how you were feeling about that because he was sort of that was sort of the, the prominent um storyline but was there also a competing narrative of like you weren't that into it either is that what was going on i think back in 1982 i thought that was what bands had to do yeah you know, tour to promote the record that's what they did so when andy said i don't want to tour anymore it was well, are we going to suffer, you know? And, you know, I suppose we did, but I had small children at the time. And in a way, I, I got to see them grow up because right. of it. You know? <laughs> you know? And um, so every cloud is a silver lining, as they say. And it means more time to write. I mean, you know, what's not to like about that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, Andy and I were married and had kids, so it was kind of, for us, it was a release, yeah, and a relief, really. The other guys, you know, they were single and, you know, going on the road was was, was all good for them, you know. But, um, yeah, it was a relief, really, but naturally I had worries because I thought that that's what bands do, you know. Were you also one of those people that when you were on the road, was it uncomfortable to not be sleeping in your own bed, to be, you know, out there in the world? Was that kind of an uncomfortable lifestyle anyway? When you had days off, it was like, well, what the hell do I do? You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, you go and find a secondhand bookshop or something and, you know, try and keep yourself busy, but you really felt as though you wanted to get on with it and get back home, really. Um, 
I'm pretty much a home bird, I suppose. I like my own things around me. Uh, you know, that's not to say I dislike traveling. I just dislike it in that amount, you know? Yeah. 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 And also, like you said, you were a father, you had children. I mean, for you to go off to Australia or off to the United States, it, that that's a big ask when you have two, kids at home. Yeah. Well, when we used to do the albums, we recorded in America, of course, uh, but we took the family with us because you're all in one place. You're stationary. You've got accommodation all figured out. It's it's easier because you're together, you know, that's, right. that's great. Um, but yeah, the, with touring, it's you're on the move all the time. And my wife did come with me a few times, but it was kind of difficult. Um, well, the children were at home and yeah, nannies and stuff. But yeah, it was kind of difficult. So I wasn't that peeved when we when Andy said, you know, I want to knock it on the head. And when you did the, the gigs with Terry, it was sort of like, oh, this is pretty cool. There's some energy that the crowd gives you that you give back. And it's a nice transactional feeling, right? That, that must have been a nice, satisfying thing to do. Well, I'd um, never heard a lot of these songs in a concert hall, you know. Right. But so I thought, well, that would be unusual to hear these songs, you know, being played. Uh, they've never been played apart from when they were done in the studio and then they were forgotten about, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was, yeah, that was great. And I, I, I was very inquisitive about that, you know. Um, it was a lot of work kind of working through them and uh, arranging them all for, 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 the, for the personnel that we had, you know. Um, but I was quite proud of the, of, the, of the six that we did because they were staged in one place and we had, a, there was a certain intimacy. Mm -hmm. where we staged them and uh, I think a lot of people enjoyed it you know and we did as well but uh, it was a lot of work you know. Was it also gratifying to you know put yourself out there and find there was a there was a really big appetite for for you I mean people came the shows were all sold out. Yeah it got a bit frightening really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> think, sold out. Oh all right, another visit to the toilet then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it was it was overwhelming the, the response really, you know. Um, but that induced Terry to think about wanting to tour worldwide. You know, he really yeah. wanted to go for it. And so, you know, I said, well, you know, you'll have to have your own band. Count me out, really. Um, so that was yeah, very unfortunate for him with the timing and the pandemic because. <laughs> he desperately wanted to get off off the starting blocks and was thwarted at every twist and turn you know yeah yeah but for me i had to leave it there you know yeah i'm glad you guys are good too because I, I was i was so happy to see you guys together i thought that was so cool yeah well he'd been in australia all that time yeah you know? and uh coming over here it was uh i thought oh, i wonder whether i should pop the question you know yeah <laughs> and, uh uh, knowing it would trigger off a whole sequence of events, really. Um, but I thought, well, let's start with the record first, you know. Yeah. Uh, but tit for tat, I knew that touring was his thing, and I knew that he would pop the question to me as well. Uh, so I did it as far as I could. But, uh, yeah, it was all right. It was a bit of a mutual thing. We would do what we did, you know. And, um, yeah, so we're still good you know yeah 
Um, it, he's not in Australia anymore. He's he's back in the UK. No, he's permanently over here now. Yeah, Good. he's um, settled in, and you know, and uh, yeah, he's raring to go with his new outfit. You know, but uh, I think they've been rehearsing, but uh, they've yet to uh, put put some dates in place because of everything so topsy turvy. You know, greatness. Where I want to be Greatness. 
what is your um your relationship with your with the bass these days like are you pretty um regimented do you play every day do you walk by it and go i don't know <laughs> yes yeah well i don't play every day no um i concentrate on the songs more so than, than bass but obviously i play bass on my own records and stuff um yeah i mean i'm first and foremost a bass player you know i play guitar and i also play keyboard but i'm not a keyboard player or a guitar player I just know enough to facilitate my songs. And mm. I think in a way that is, you don't, when you don't know much about something, there's the propensity not to fall into the traps and not to, you know, it's an open book. You just know nothing. So you just dive in, you know, but you, there are no boundaries really. Um, I think boundaries are created when you learn by the book and, you know, and um, there's certain things that people, probably professional keyboard players would say, oh, you can't do that, Colin, you know, but I probably do, and you know. <laughs> so uh, that's the beauty of, you know, good things happen when you don't know what you're doing. You know? <laughs> right. Well, it's almost like because you're, you're, not, you're not totally comfortable, right? So you're always, you're always sort of, um, not on edge, but you can't you can't settle in and and just rely on old habits, right? So you're always challenged. I think with the keyboards, I, there are no old habits, you know. Right. I, I, right. Yes, I I can identify a good chord change, you know. And, um, <laughs> yes. And uh, but I I don't worry about where my hands are, you know. I, you know it. As long as it's the sound really that I'm looking for and the feeling. If I get a good feeling from something, I don't care where the hands are, that I'm going for that, you know. So, you know, I just feel it's 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 an open book for me, you know. I've never I've I've written some songs on keyboards, but I to me I you know, I don't worry about certain things that are that you're not supposed to do. I just I just do it, you know. Well, this is the moment where I ask a question that clearly shows I'm not a musician and my listeners might cringe with me asking it, but can you write songs on the bass guitar or is, or is it something that you, like, how does that work? I did write one song on the bass guitar. It was called Dance Band and it was on the, our first EP. Okay. Uh, that's going back a bit, but it was a kind of a riff really. Um, yeah, you can, I suppose you know, in a, in a way, um, you have to imagine a lot. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, I write, I used to write on guitar, you know, because um, it has more of a chordal thing going and you can pick out melodies and so forth. You may be a little tied with just single, single lines with the bass, you know, but, um, and then the keyboards, because of the way it's set up, you, and get different inversions of chords which may promote a, or provoke a melody within your head you know um so it's a bit more expansive i think yeah i never thought about that before because i'm not a musician so i don't know like i never thought like oh would you sit down with a bass guitar and write on a bass like why wouldn't that happen uh, yeah it can happen um i just find it uh, more melodically satisfying if i'm if i ha if i can hear a chord 
and a, and a chord change well rather than just a one note and a, and a note change you know mm. I, I just think it might trigger off um it might trigger off certain melodies within me you know how are you with lyrics these days are they coming pretty easy well i look around uh for a first line really that's the way i work and then once i get to i mean Sometimes you don't even know what the song's going to be about, really. You justify the song later when you've got the line and then other lines come after it and you think, ah, right, I think I know what this song might be about. And then you start honing the whole thing. Uh, and, and I said, it just becomes like a crossword puzzle, which has to be worked out, really. But I start usually start with the first line. And, it has, and then that might give me some idea what it might be about. I don't worry about whether it's a chorus or a verse or any of that, you know. It just is, you know. So yeah. uh, I don't label it at all. So I, um, yeah, it's all about first line. It's like this, this current single I've got out, you know, when I read those lines by E.E. E. Cummings, about, uh, that is the hardest battle anybody can fight. I thought, hardest battle, there it is. That's my first line. The hardest battle you can fight, right? That's my first line, and then I can work from that. Have you ever had a situation where you had a great first line, but it ended up not being the first line? Um, sometimes um, I've started with a first line, and that, that's not been the title, but it started me on a on a on a good road. Uh, but the, it became evident that the title was going to be this line further down. You know, that's become the prominent thing. Uh, but yeah, it's not always the title, but a good deal of the time it is, you know. And then you sort of pull that thread and then hopefully the verses follow. Yeah, I'm a big believer in the subconscious. I think the subconscious is wonderful. And what those little things that spring to the front of your mind from nowhere, I, I take notice of those, you know, because they're, they're pure gold, they are. Um, and any lines that just spring out of nowhere, I thought, well, I don't know what that means, but I'm writing it down, you know. Yeah. Um, it's the conscious that ruins everything because the conscious wants to round everything up into a into a, a familiar ball, you know. And I don't like that. I like uh, I think I like things to tumble out, you know. And they and they can tumble out really quickly. You've got to be prepared for it, you know. Um, but. Um, Andy used to say about the editor, you've got to defeat the editor. And I think I know what he means by that. It's, there is a tendency, even when you're working out chords, to go to cliches, you know. And you've got to find a way of, of getting around that and make what comes out kind of completely fresh, you know. Um, so, yeah, and that applies to lyrics as well, you know. Um, so I always pay attention to anything that just comes to me in a second, you know. Yeah. They, they just spring forward from the back of your mind. I always pay a lot of attention to that. You know, I'm a writer, and and one of the things, the hardest part about writing is when you you get something you like, like <clears throat> maybe it's a line or maybe it's whatever. You, you get something you like, and you, either you can't finish it, and in one sitting, you know, you're going to have to come back to it or you have a responsibility out there in the world. You, you, you have to go somewhere or something. Right. 
are, are you good? You mentioned tinkering at the beginning of the interview. Are you pretty good at sort of leaving it and then coming back to it? Or do you really like to finish it all in one, in one sitting? No, I, I write it down, write the idea down, or if it's a musical idea, there is, um, I have a little garage band set up within my computer that I, I, I tinker the idea down, you know, and make sure that, that whatever it is, that it's there for me to come back to, you know, if, I'm, if I've got to go out or something, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I never try and lose anything, you know. So in, intuitively, I'm, I'm getting the feeling that you're probably a pretty patient person because there's that sort of creative impulse to want to, you know, get it all done at once and, and hear it, this sort of lightning in a bottle thing. Um, but you're, you're fine going, oh, I got something kind of cool that's sort of, you know, starting to kind of kindle a little bit. I'll come back in a couple of days and check in on it. You're, you're okay with that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to do family stuff and or you're going somewhere or anything. Yeah. And very often these little things come out at real inopportune moments and uh, you, you, you may be just watching TV and, and so yeah, I'll find some way of noting them down in whatever form and then I'll come back. But uh, yeah, they, they, they're more than likely to, to come out at inopportune moments. Right, of course. Whatever the, whatever the trigger is, whether it's you're watching a TV program or something, um, I, I always, you know, if there's anything there, I always write it down. You know? Yeah, it's almost like when they come at inopportune moments, it's almost like there's this there's this weird muscle that's kind of being it's insisting, pay attention to me. I got I got something for you, and it's sort of like it's very insistent. It almost feels like it's the most genuine. Yeah, these things sort of have a certain truth about them. Yeah, and um, I I think or simplicity. You know, it's the it's the simplicity that takes you by surprise, really. You know, I think, my God, that's a simple idea, but nobody's ever thought of that. You know, so um, uh, yeah, they're, they're pure gold, I think. Yeah, that's why if you say like I'm going to write tomorrow at noon, uh, I'm going to schedule the uh, inspiration. It doesn't really work that way, right? Well, those guys from ABBA. <laughs> Benny Bjorn, I mean, they used to go into that little writing hut on that island and they used to write and they never used to, you know, they'd lock themselves in until they came out with a song. But that, that's never worked for me. I never go into the studio unless I've got something to record, you know. I don't tinker in the studio. I, I, I like just being in bed and just doing other things. And I think it's more inducive to, uh, to, to let it flow like that rather than to it seems like forcing it if you're going into the studio to write, you know. I, I've never done that. I, I always like to just uh, to be strumming on the settee or something and watching telly or, or just having a little tinker over breakfast. Or, you know, I might spill some egg onto the keyboard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I always prefer to work like that. Yeah, someone asked me once why I never go to writing um, retreats. And I'm kind of like, because I'm afraid I'm going to get there and, and I'm going to not be able to write a word. Um, but if I, you know, if I, if I'm, I'm, I teach college for a living, if I'm, if I'm in a meeting, suddenly I find myself writing. And it's sort of like, you know, it's, a, it's at the, not the time that you, you can't schedule these things. At least, I mean, you and I are not, are not ABBA, apparently. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> they did well, didn't they? <laughs> it worked out okay for them, yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. So yeah. whatever method works for you, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. Whatever whatever it is. This is a really weird thing. I, I interviewed uh Jack from Meat Beat Manifesto. And I didn't know what to expect. Um and I certainly didn't expect what what we talked about. He was really nice. He talked about XTC for like <laughs> for like 20 minutes. And I wondered if you knew him and and because he he just was speaking rapturously about much, how much he loves XTC. I remember, I think he he said he may have talked to you guys for a little while, but um, do you know Jack? Do you know Meet Pete Manifesto? Did you know that he was such a fan of your band? No, I didn't. I, I did not know that. No, no. Good man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like an industrial situation. And I did not expect that your band would have been the topic of conversation but it just he loves you guys well what can i say you know good fellow <laughs> good, yeah yeah um and it may be i'm not sure if he's he might be from from swindon i'm not sure i can't remember if that's true or not that oh, no, I, I don't think so i know no that doesn't that name i mean i know of the band but uh, no i'm pretty sure there's no association with swindon yeah, he just he just happens to live XTC. Um, is your relationship with Andy mostly transactional now? Is it is that all it is, and is that where things are with you guys? Yeah, we've been talking fairly recently about uh, <coughs> about um, the masters of of, of the forthcoming uh, five point one that he's got in mind. You know, which I, I cannot disclose, but uh, yeah, he's. Um, you know, the whereabouts of the masters and all the rest of it. So we've been back and forth quite a bit recently, yeah. But it's generally, you know, we don't socialize as we used to. So it's generally about biz, really, you know. When Terry mentioned it was sort of like unfinished business, did, did you sort of, you could see what he meant, but it didn't really feel that way to you? Well, he hadn't had the, the career that, that we had, you know. Yeah. We were another 35 years in the studio, and, uh, you know. He, he all but kind of finished with music for over 30 years, you know. So it was kind of very uh, strange. Our, our backgrounds were totally different. Yeah. And, um, you know, I said, well, you know, I've been a studio animal for all these years and old habits die hard, I'm afraid, you know. Yeah. Um, stage, what does that mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, uh, that early life was just a memory, you know. Are you a nostalgic guy? Do you think of yourself like, what's your relationship to uh, the past? Do you do you think about that a lot, or do you, are you always moving forward? I think I am a melancholic chap. Yes, the past, the orchards were more misty, the days were sunnier, all that, you know. Yeah, they probably never were, but. I like to think they were, yes. Yeah, there's something, I heard something the other day, by the way, I had to look it up because I was curious. They are from Swindon. Meet Pete Manifesto are from Swindon. Um, Good Lord. I didn't I know. know I'm sorry. I, know. I probably bumped into that. But, so, uh, um, let's see. Jack Dangers, who, who was John Corrigan. I don't know if you knew him as that, but um, they were from Swindon. So there we go. Well, that just goes to show how much I know, isn't it? <laughs>
there's something about um someone told me that every memory you have is a memory of the memory so really um your memory is in many ways not as reliable as you think which is why you think the days were sunnier and times were better because your your brain kind of does that to you which is really you know i won't sleep at night if i think about this too much well, short-term memory is always abysmal, I think, when you get to my age anyway. But if I play tennis, nobody asks me the score, you know, because <laughs> I know I always get it wrong. But um, I'm concentrating on the stroke. I, right. I don't think about the score. You know? <laughs> Here's something someone told me. That you'll probably, let's see what you think. They said it's better to have average strokes and perfect footwork than the opposite. Average stroke, perfect footwork. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I can't say I've always been that nimble on my feet, um, but my forearm drive is something to be respected. You know. Yeah. Are you are you a, are you a baseliner? I am. Yes. Uh, it's very disconcerting to my fellow players well, because we play doubles, you know, and uh, they said, "Why are you not at the net?" I said, "Well, I've never been at the net. You know, that's what I do. I'm back here." That's what I like to do. And, um, but yeah, the, most of the players I play with, they, you know, they take it in terms of being at the net, whereas I'm never at the net. But uh, anyway, we digress, don't we? <laughs> well, I mean, look, I'm, I'm only 5'8", so there's a reason why I'm not at the net. Like, I, I prefer to stay back. <laughs> if I'm at the net, I'm really on the net. Because right. I thought, well, there's less chance of me putting it into the net if I'm right right on the net you know fair enough yeah. fair enough um so what in, in terms of i know everyone's asking you about this because you have this new single it's really exciting and it's fantastic um is is that an acceptable flow for you uh, sort of you know release a song whenever you have a song is that does that feel like a comfortable rhythm it does for me now yes albums for me would take too long and I really haven't got the time. I'm in my mid-sixes. Nobody knows what's around the corner, you know. If you've no. got it, get it out, for God's sake, man, you know. <laughs> uh, that rainy day is here, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I, if I've got it and I've got faith in it, then you can have it, you know. And um, I don't worry about making albums now. EPs and singles, yeah, you can have as quick as you like, you know. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my feeling on it. You also feel that the album is sort of like a, um, in many ways, is sort of a um, a lost kind of um, medium, you know, where, where people maybe, you know, I grew up if I if I got an album, I'd listen to it front to back, and it was like a novelistic experience. Um, but you know, when I talk to people who are under under twenty, um, that's a very foreign concept. Do you also think that that it's just natural that we've cycled out of the album as an art form? Well, if you have the material and you can string it all together, you know, um, I think uh, Todd Rundgren was very good at that when he put together Skylarking, a sequence of the starting of the day right through to the end of the day, you know, um, and it really worked, I thought. Um, but it, it really depends on the material and whether it can be strung together. It may be so diverse that that's not possible. Um, and you basically most people don't start with a concept they write the songs first and then they see if there's a concept to be had you know and uh, whether things can be strung together in the shape of a, of a concept uh, so um, and that's not always possible you know 
but yeah, it's, it, I'm not against that sort of thing. It's just at my age, uh, I haven't really got time for it. You know, I would probably take longer making a record than, than we did, you know, way back. But in the early days, you know, you took your live, what you did live and you played it pretty much in the studio. So it, it just took a couple of weeks, you know, Right. You can, you can bash it down, but as time went on, we realized what the palette of the studio could do. With a bit more care, you can have wonderful arrangements and it will sound so much better, you know. Uh, depends on the material, you know. And uh, I, I'm still of that ilk. I still like to explore what the studio can do for my song, you know. Uh, so that takes time. It's not a bashing down process, really. Yeah, when you look at the discography of XTC, it was a lot of albums and a lot of songs in a very short period of time. I mean, it really was like a pretty consistent flow, pretty prolific band. Well, you've got the record company behind you cracking the whip, you see. Yeah. Uh, that makes a big difference. Yeah. You know, you, that first album, you, you've got years and years to write that. And then they turn around and say, well, fellas, you've got six weeks to write another, you know. Oh, uh, so it's, yeah, making that second album is difficult. Um, but by the second album, we had three writers actually in the band. Barry had started to write as well. And then when he left, it was me and Andy writing. So that helps to have more than one writer. So it's less pressure on the individual, you know. Um, but by the same measure, the, the, the two may be writing in different veins. So marrying that can can be a difficult process, but uh, yeah, we, we, we had the material in the time frame that was allotted to us, so we were okay. Did you like the democracy of a band or do you prefer working on your own? And now I prefer working on my own, I think. You know? mm. um, it's a lonely old game at times, but it's just you and your imagination, you know. Um, also, got to engineer as well you know certainly during the pandemic because I, I i couldn't afford to pay an engineer to 500 quid a day you know and you know you can go make a cup of tea and you don't need to keep anybody waiting you can <laughs> lunch you can come back to it that evening or something you know it's <clears throat> it's um it's in a way it's easier because you're not keeping anybody from doing what they and you're not running out costs either you know so it's uh I prefer it these days. Yeah. You must have a, a system though where you write something. Who do you show it to first? Do you show it to your wife? Do you do like, how do you who's the first person you would go to and say, like, here's a new, here's a new song I have, or here's a new idea I have? Yeah, yeah. Usually my wife, she's the first to hear it. And, you know. Uh, but I think with the hardest battle, it's it's one that seeps into you after a while, you know. I think you have to, uh, she may not like it the first time she hears it, and then she'll come back and say, well, maybe you might have something there, you know. It's, uh, it's a grower, I think. And uh, the, the, the growers, they always stay around for a long time, I think. I'm really grateful that you took the time to do this. It's nice to talk to you again. It was a couple of years, and uh, we, we learned Meet Pete Manifesto are from Swindon, <laughs> who knew? whoops <laughs> yeah whoops and jack dangers actually lives out here in san francisco now so there's i mean it's just it just gets weirder i'm sure he prefers san francisco to swindon it's, what can you do are you in swindon 
I'm in Swindon now, yes. So there's, a, there's a gentle drizzle pattering against the window. So <laughs> oh, I'm sure he prefers San Francisco, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably true. Hey, it was great talking to you again, and uh, thanks for taking the time to, uh, to make this happen. Thank you very much, Alex. It was a pleasure. nice to have Colin back on the show and it's also really nice he's back uh, making new music great new music the track listing for the hardest battle uh, mini EP is the hardest battle then there's the original version of say it and a exploratory demo uh, of the hardest battle which is really cool considering he gave us some insight into his songwriting process to hear that sort of uh, skeletal original version uh, I think will be awfully cool and also very insightful. You'll want to own this. It's released as a CD single in one of those four-panel digit sleeves via Burning Shed. Burningshed.com to buy Colin's new EP. And there's a bunch of great stuff on Burning Shed. I guarantee you, you'll be buying a lot more than just the EP. I'm on the site right now, and there's a great XTC This Is Pop t-shirt which I'm going to order as soon as I say goodbye to you. There's also a King Crimson box set. Oh, there's also some stuff by Porcupine Tree and The Soft Machine on vinyl. There's Andy Partridge solo stuff. There's Collins EP. You're going to spend a lot of time and money on the Burning Shed site, and you'll be better for it. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. Uh, bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what makes our radio station tick. You can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast, or you can just email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, tell a friend, leave us a rating, you know, maybe a nice comment or two. If you're feeling more expansive than normal, an essay on how much you love our show would be great. Let's close the program with a longer listen to Colin Moulding's new song, The Hardest Battle. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only, right here on Bombshell Radio. To thine own
much more.